The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. This episode is sponsored by UnityVillage.org. Songwriter Karen Drucker returns to Unity Village with A Woman's Time Out Retreat, September 19th to 22nd. Learn more at UnityVillage.org forward slash events calendar. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, so when I was 17, my father took me to this place. We went there uh, for the first time together. And um, it just kind of changed my life. It, it sort of uncovered this, this deep knowing inside of me that we are nature, that we are part of nature, um, and that we can only exist with it. And, and it, um, yeah, I never kind of looked at life the same way again, you know, the interconnectedness of all of it. And, um, and that sort of sparked a unique thought for me. Welcome to the Mentor TV podcast and stay curious with Patricia Falco Becali. Welcome back to another edition of Crisis to Creation here on Mentor TV. I'm Patricia Falco Becali, your host. And before getting into what we're going to talk about today, let me say thank you to all of you out there for your likes, your shares, also your wonderful suggestions and comments, really interested in what we are doing and also co-creating Mentory TV in many, many ways. And thank you also for subscribing for free to the channel, hitting the bell button so I can always keep you informed about the newest videos with our awesome guests. Now to today's subject. Do you actually believe that we are the master of our own universe? You know, the lead character in our life story. And if we want to do something or get somewhere, all we need is an objective, a vision, a plan, a little bit of a push and hard work, and eventually we will be able to realize our dreams. Or are you more in the camp of, Kisera, sera, whatever will be, will be. It's all up to fate. And you know, life is what happens in between all those plans. I'm not so sure, but one thing for sure, I picked up this book. It's called A Story of Karma by Michael Schauch, and it gives a very interesting experience that then leads to a certain life attitude when it comes to exactly these questions. And I invited Michael to the show. He said yes, and here he is. Michael, thank you so much for joining us here on Mentory TV. Thank you, Patricia. Thank you for having me on the show. <laughs> Well, Micah, I feel super honored because let me just do one thing and you heard a clicking or somebody <laughs> may have heard a clicking and uh -oh. another clicking, maybe not, but it is your birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday. Oh, oh, <laughs> so thanks, this Patricia. is your birthday cookie. No more than yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's good because anything bigger would be unhealthy, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to blow them out for you and you make the wish. Done. <laughs> okay, perfect. So we had to, oh my God, it's going to be like rather smoky, my, my studio going up in smoke. Now, now so, you're not going to make uh, me share the wish in this session, hey? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, 
you know, it's, I find it fantastic that you, A, joined me here on Mentory TV. It's a true honor, Michael, and B, on your birthday. And then in our, you know, green room conversation we had before the recording, you said it's another very special day in general. So maybe you want to fill us in about the 10th of March. Oh, yeah. No, it actually has an interesting story behind it that I learned in 2018. I was in New York. Uh, we was going to this Explorers Club event. And uh, in imagine in the middle of Times Square, you know, all the lights and everything. And I was kind of in a rush. I was dressed up in my tuxedo because it's their annual gala. And I, I, got, I get out of the cab and all around me are these Tibetans, um, Tibetan, like in Tibetan traditional clothing, uh, these monks, you know, with Tibetan flags on the big screen in Times Square was the Tibetan flag. And I thought, what, what the heck is going on here? And, uh, and so I found the kind of the head monk or he looked like, you know, the head Lama there. And, and, you know, I greeted him and, and uh, he was kind of looking at me like, oh, you know, who is this guy? And, and Chantal and I, we had just come back from uh, from Tibet. We were just in Lhasa, and they, of course, can't can't go there, can't go back. They had to. They all fled their homeland, and and so I was showing them pictures of Potala Palace and all of this, and and uh, and, and and so I asked them, I said, "What is happening here?" This was March tenth, uh, my birthday, and um, and and he said, "Well, today is." Uh, like Tibetan, uh, they call it Tibetan Awareness Day, Tibetan Freedom Day. And um, it's when the, all the Tibetans sort of rise together to to not forget, you know, about their yep. home and where they're from, and even though they're kind of dispersed around the world now. And and I thought, wow, this is, I had no idea. And it was to celebrate celebrate 1959, you know, what, what happened there in Tibet. And, and, uh, and anyway, so I had to go to this, to this event, but he said, before I, before you go, uh, I just want to to give you a traditional Tibetan blessing. And so there we were, uh, we put our hands together, we put our foreheads together, and in the middle of Times Square with all of these Tibetans, flags, everything around, it was just the most magical, beautiful experience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and the juxtaposition of having Times Square and, you know, really mixed or being infused by something that is actually so many cycles, uh, you know, behind whatever is happening in our mm. developed world, right? So Absolutely. it was a moment of serendipity. The yes, yes, one. yeah. yeah. Exactly. And that's where I learned about this other important date on, on March 10th. Fantastic, fantastic. Okay. Well, I wanted to you to, to mention the story simply because it gives already a little bit of the tone of you being a person that goes through life and is actually aware of things not just happening because they are, but because maybe they might be meaningful and maybe you look at them just differently. And the moment you focus on them differently, they actually start becoming something that might be of meaning. So um Let's kind of start to go through your book chronologically, because I think the story of karma definitely goes a little bit deeper than the actual story. And that mm -hmm. is your own experience, your own relationship to climbing mountains, becoming a mountaineer. And there, one of the key moments was with your dad when you were around 17, and he took you for the first time to Karmana Valley and mm -hmm. also introduced you to Joe. Right. Yeah. 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 The two very you know, milestone moments of my life. And Karmana Valley, I don't know if you've ever heard of this place before, but anyone who hasn't, it's a place on the west coast of Canada with these Sitka spruce trees, some of them thousands years old, just massive trees. They actually are so tall that you can't even see the tops of them. They create this unique canopy overhead. So lights of beam kind of break through the canopy and shine down on the flora and fauna, you know, uh, hundreds of meters below. And, and, um, 
Anyway, uh, it's just, it's a magical place and it changed my life and it actually was saved uh, because they were going to log the whole thing. And you literally had activists chaining themselves to the trees. And so fortunately, a handful of people saved this place. And now many people, it's been now designated a park and many people can go visit there. But, um, but yeah, so when I was 17, my father took me to this place. We went there uh, for the first time together and um, it just kind of changed my life. It, it sort of uncovered this, this deep knowing inside of me that we are nature, that we are part of nature, um, and that we can only exist with it. And, and it, um, yeah, I never kind of looked at life the same way again, you know, the interconnectedness of all of it. And, um, and that sort of sparked a unique thought for me. And so I was always into nature, you know, my, my dad would take us camping, my sister and I. Um, and so I was into hiking and backpacking, and that sort of thing. But around that same time, we went out for a hike with this gentleman named Joe. And he, Joe was a, you know, he's a mountaineer. He's, um, you know, very experienced mountaineer. And we just, we kind of hit it off through conversation. And, and he kind of saw my love for nature and getting out there. And, and, and he said, you know, Mike, I want to take you up a mountain. And so as a 17-year-old kid, I thought, you know, I, I had no idea what that actually meant. <laughs> but you know, as a kid, I thought, you know, this sounds, this sounds amazing. Let's, let's do it. And so he, you know, the next weekend, he lent me his, um, his crampons, his ice axe, harness, and off we went at about three o'clock in the morning, we went off to climb this mountain. And I remember we, um, it, was, it was the hardest thing. I'd ever, I've never been out for, I think it was a 14-hour day or something like that. I've never been out that long. But I remember one point, we were kind of coming to the top of the summit or towards the top of the summit, and, um, and it was all white, just white, glistening, icy snow, um, steep slope. Uh, we were plunging our ice axes, kip, kicking the crampons in. And he said, Mike, if you fall, just dig in with the with the pointy end of your ice axe. And I was trying to focus all my attention. Exactly. He said, falling. kick, 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 yeah, kick. Yeah, That's exactly. what you kept on repeating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just 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 do that. Just focus on that. And and then, but I remember one point I looked, um, I looked over my shoulder, and behind me were all these distant peaks, um, peaks that I had no idea even existed. The sun was just coming up. It was creating these beautiful sort of orangey purple hues on the horizon. And I, I, re I realized at that one point that there's this world, there's this whole world up here that we have no idea even exists most of the time. And it's only accessible by our will to, to climb up there and play up there for a brief moment before descending back down. And, uh, and that to me was just it. I just, I never looked back. Yeah, exactly. And this is where I, I want to make the first quote out of your book, which really kind of resonated with me and struck with me. And that was when you were actually on the top and you say, peaks I had no idea even existed. In that moment, a whole new realm of possibility had just opened. High above our everyday life, out of sight, there was another world sculpted before any human had ever walked the earth and accessible only by our will to climb, I could feel tears welling in my eyes for in that moment I had found my passion, I had found myself at mm. 17. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, that's awesome. And through this, I mean, this is, this is a true kind of, uh, you know, when you as a child for the first time you're getting aware of yourself, I don't know, it, it, yeah. it, I think it's around six or seven when you start going, okay, I'm actually a person. Mm -hmm. And then to get even further, that level of maturity of saying, okay, there is, you know, more to life than what I've experienced <laughs> between, you know, school, game, box or whatever. 
Uh, and mm. that's very deep for that age, I thought. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, it's funny. I heard this saying once where we can explore the external space, but we can also explore the internal space. And the deeper we go, you know, the more layers we kind of uh, open up. And, and so I think that was a key opening up um, experience for me. And it's like, you know, I mean, the only constant, as they say, is change, right? So we're changing as as people as well. But I think the more we explore that inner space and find, you know, that connection with ourself, the more we can continue to go deeper and, 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 you know, have these more meaningful experiences. Yeah, it is deeper, but also higher because that was, mm. I think, the, the, the moment where you, you fell in love completely. Uh, a love that turned out a little bit of an obsession with climbing mountains. That's you right, didn't yeah. want to live without mountains. So why there was a deep connection, it was going higher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, higher and deeper. But yeah, I couldn't, I, I, and to this day, I, you know, I, I kind of can't really live without them. Let me quickly interrupt the conversation to say thank you that you are here with me on the channel. If you do enjoy what I'm putting out, the in-depth kind of conversations, then why don't you subscribe and also hit the bell button so I can keep you informed with our newest releases. Thanks for that in advance and let's get back to the conversation. And the spirituality, let's talk a little bit about that. And the mm. spirituality in the mountain, and that is something that also Joe seemed to have talked to you about because um, he kind of referred to, he said actually, on mountain, I, I, I prefer to sit on a mountain thinking about God mm. rather than sitting in church thinking about a mountain. Now, not only is that deep and spiritual, but that's also quite critical of a lot of religious people. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I think his I think his point with that was not to criticize, um, you know, anyone following any sort of religious pursuit uh, in a, because I mean, I've been in some very beautiful places that have inspired that sense of, of God-like presence. Um, but um, I think what he was meaning in that sentence was, you know, it's important to be, have that connection with nature and the mountains and being out there. Because again, going back to, you know, the earlier part of this conversation, we are nature, right? At the most fundamental level, we are connected to that and we are that. And so I think to lose touch with that is to lose touch with ourselves. And so it's important to, to kind of help facilitate and, and open that connection all the time, I think. Yeah, and the reason why I go straight at the beginning of our conversation into the deepness of what mountains can really mean to a person beyond just, you know, stone slabs of stones that have been created mm. <laughs> by, you know, titanic plates kind of uh, ramping up each other is simply because there's just so much more that, you know, they can offer to a person that really wants to go and climb. And this is why you know, A, you fell in love, B, it became an obsession. And that really leads us to your saying in the book, the greatest lessons about life and about myself were actually taught whilst I was climbing. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit more about what are the, you know, two or three key lessons that you said, okay, this is what this experience got to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many. I think what part of the key or some of the key items were um, just that there's this whole world larger than myself, right, out there. I'm a very small piece of the whole picture, right? And I think, especially in our kind of Western modernized world, we tend to think that we're the center of our universe sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, knowing, having this deep knowing that we're just kind of these little pieces kind of making our way through of a much larger picture um, brings a, a different sort of worldview to, to daily decisions. And when you look at, when you think about challenges or problems, or maybe you're having a bad day or whatever that means, I don't know, but like um, 
it just sort of brings reality back into perspective, right? That there's far greater things out there than, than just me. And so that can kind of help you focus your mind on, 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 you know, the more important things in life. Yeah. And so I think that was one of the key things. And, and then there's the other more surface things that I've learned in terms of just adapting, accepting, you know, oftentimes the mountain environment, it'll do its own thing, right? I mean, you can't control Force it. Majeure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Sometimes you have to walk away. Sometimes you have to, you know, just accept what, what happens, um, pivot on a, on a very quick turn, right? So all of those things, it's, it's a practice. And the more we practiced it outside, the more I was able to practice it um, inside, so to speak, or, or in the business world um, or any other part of my life. So I think that that was a key item as well, just practicing those, those different mindsets and those different environments. Yeah, absolutely. Starting with trying to really read the mountain and what it tells you, not your story, you want to climb it uh, yeah. in a certain amount of time with your team, but saying, okay, the mountain is talking. There are certain conditions that yeah. might or might not allow my dream to come true, you know? And this is exactly why I was thinking that <laughs> the first point you made saying, okay, it humbles you that all of a sudden you see there are different problems out there. It's bigger than you. That happened definitely to me becoming a mother when I thought, <laughs> oh my God, you know? And I cried about that before. You try being a mother. I was kind of quiet about everything I was being a sissy about before. That really put things into perspective. But anyway, yes. let, let's get into the story now, um, which you're actually describing in a story of karma. And that is in the pursuit of climbing the pyramid mountain. You saw that mountain on a picture and then you said, all right, this is exactly my vision. I want to get there. Mm. Tell us a little bit about the progress, how you got into the journey who was there and, you know, the beginnings of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, if I back up one step, actually, it relates to that first part of our conversation in, in New York and Times Square. And, and back um, when I was a teenager, I've always felt this very strong connection to the Himalaya, uh, to the Tibetan area, to the, you know, high Himalaya, to, to Nepal. Um, and, and so it, it's been something or a place that I felt like I wanted to visit for some reason. Uh, at that time, I didn't realize it. But um for, for since I can remember. And so, you know, but it wasn't until I was in my early 30s that I was able to to actually finally go there. Part of the reason was, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't have the, the money and, and then I didn't have the time, you know, working on your career and all, all that. But um, but also more important than that, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do there. And so I didn't know if I wanted to go. To, I knew I didn't want to go to like a touristy place like Everest Base Camp or, you know, there's things that everyone else was going to. I, I knew I didn't want to do that. So I was having trouble finding you know, the right thing. And then one day, you know, early, uh, this was back in 2011, um, I, we sat down with this one gentleman, Mick, and he started, share, he had been trekking throughout Nepal for the 20 years. And and he had started um, sharing with us about this little uh, place he called the Lost Valley of Narfu. And at that time, it had been, you know, it had just been opened up to the outside world. It had been closed off for generations prior to that. And I was there with Chantal, my wife, and we were sitting there looking at some of his pictures and I thought, I thought this is the place. Yeah. This is, this is it. Yeah. Um, and I looked at Chantal and she, you know, we, I could tell that we kind of were thinking the same thing. Um, and then, I mean, just the people and the culture, the places, I mean, the way that they, the, what I could see through his pictures is that there was this authentic connection still to the way that these people have been living for hundreds of years. And I just thought, wow. And, and, and Mick was saying that, yeah, this is all going to change. 
now that it's opened up, right? The people, you know, the culture is going to change. It's going to evolve with as the modern world, you know, makes its way into, you know, every place around the world. Um, so I thought, you know, we should, um, Chantal and I, we kind of had a brief little chat there. We're kind of in sync uh, when it comes to things like that. But we said, well, why don't we put a little team together, a little team of artists? Uh, we can have a, a, a photographer, a musician, a nature artist, and, uh, and Chantal and I can do some filming. And we'll just try and observe through these unique lenses and learn from the people, and, but also capture a moment in time mm-hmm. as it, uh, you know, as it changes, before it changes. And so, so that was kind of the intention. And then as I'm looking through these pictures, the Pyramid Mountain pops up. And as a fanatic about mountaineering, I, I just, it just hit me right in the, <laughs> right in the heart. And I, it looked like a, like this, this white um, pyramid, like just coming yeah, out of just the Yeah, it was just perfect, right? It was just <laughs> yeah, perfect, real, man-made. I'm like, I have to go find this and, yeah. uh, and climb it. And, and we didn't know if it had a name, if it had even been climbed before. So anyway, that was, um, that was the, the tipping point, I suppose, uh, in terms of what, what drew us there. And then you just set off on it and kind of fast forward. There was a few challenges and uh, you were going there. Everything proceeded quite well. And then all of a sudden, and I need to pick it up, uh, Chantal started to become extremely weak. Um, She was suffering the height. She was suffering energy loss. And Chantal, of course, is your life partner, your wife. And, you know, she is, uh, when it comes to mountains, the Bonnie uh, of the Clyde couple. And and, and that was, (laughs) I think that was uh, challenging, not only for her, because Mm. all she wanted as far as I gather from from the book, is to be there with you yet again. And she loved it, even Mm. though it was kind of supporting more your passion than anything else. But she was at a brim of giving up, but you were not sharing with the group. Yeah, that was, I mean, it was a tough moment because it was just as we were coming into this, this lost valley and we were just starting to catch the glimpses of it. And I was starting to, you know, kind of fulfill this dream, so to speak. And, and I, I felt my body vibrating almost at the very level of this place. And, and then, you know, Chantal was going through this major struggle. She's been um, uh, having these uh, these migraine attacks um, since she was a teenager. And, and it happened that she she got one right there and then. And and sometimes, I mean, I'd never had a migraine um, before, but I've seen her go through these attacks. And and it's it's anyone who's had a migraine, um, you know, will understand. It's devastating. You, you, you have can't to hide do for anything. three days or something in dark. Uh, exactly, exactly. And 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 how how can you hide for three days? When we're in the middle of the mountains, right? You know? so, well, you find and, a cave as long as there are no yeah. bones you discover yeah. as you do. Right. That's not a cave. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. That's another story when we stumbled into that 2,200-year-old tomb. But yeah. uh, <laughs> <you> know, uh, <laughs> we shouldn't really laugh about this. But anyway, I, I know. I mean, that you know, somebody said to me, "It's like Mike, only you can stumble in, into a 2,200-year-old tomb." <laughs> I don't know you well enough, but I was fabulously mock about. but but yeah so Chantal she was there struggling and and you know she's she's very strong she's we've climbed some big mountains together and and we had just done Kilimanjaro that was her idea um before that and and Pico de Rizaba in Mexico so but you know when she has these attacks you know she almost turns into a different person in a way right um and so I was kind of I was kind of struggling in my mind because I'm like, what does this mean for us? You know, we have this team here, you know, we're just getting into this place. Um, Chantal potentially has to turn around. Um, 
I, there's no way I'm going to let her go down by That's herself. That's the point. We're, you didn't want to leave her, leave her alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we were days away. Right. So from the, from the nearest town. So I, you know, I just, it was a very tricky situation, right. To try and work through that in my mind. And, and in the end, you know, I just thought, I just have to let this go. Um, I just have to, you know, Chantal will decide what she decides and based on how she's feeling in a couple of days, because there was a place where we could rest for a couple of days. And I thought, you know what, there's no sense in, in stressing about this right now. If it turns out that I have to turn around, well, this is farther than I've made it before. So be it. And we will go down, but, um, mm-hmm. but it was still a mental struggle to, to get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I wanted to pick up on it because it was such a difference between that low point and then actually making it to the gates of the village of Fo. Yes. Yeah. And that is, that is something that I, I would like to read out as well, because, mm. um, it really struck me again because it is so strong that unless I guess you are there and really experience it, you think, yeah, 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 yeah. All up to imagination. It happens to you inside because you want it to. So everybody imagine. So Mike and Chantal and the rest of the crew finally arrive at the gates of full of this magic lost uh, valley uh, village. And uh, Mike writes, and then I passed through the other side, through the gates I'm talking. It was as though I had walked through an invisible force field. I became aware at once I was no longer in the world I knew. Something has shifted in light, in color, in sound, in feeling, in reality. Chantal came through the gates, experiencing the same sensation. Dot, dot, dot. And then she says, Mike, yesterday I was in a pit of despair. I had the lowest of lows. Today, I'm having the highest high of my life. Ready? <laughs> I'm getting shivers remembering that moment as you're reading it. Uh, glad to hear. Yeah. Glad to hear. It's good huh, to revive your book. <laughs> okay. No, I, I, you Tell know, us. it was like that. It was... Um, the Tibetans call this place a Bayul. Bayul is sacred, or mean, means sacred valley. And uh, the, the Dalai Lama himself has said um, it's a place where the physical and spiritual realms come closer together. They coexist closer together. And so um, you could feel that. You know, we could feel that as we were there. As we walked through the gate, literally it felt as though I had walked into this different world, um, colors, you know, sharpened feelings, sensations, deepened, um, perspective shifted. I mean, again, it wasn't like, it was subtle, um, but it was deep. And, and like Chantal said there, you know, she was just, just coming through the gate. It's an ancient gate. It was there for hundreds of years. Um, even the scripture above there's this wood beam and, and the, the, the Sherpas we were with, they said it's, this language is neither, um, Tibetan nor, nor Nepali, um, you know, so just knowing that and, and who else walks through that gate and where are we walking into, right? Um, so, and open up all these questions. So the photographer that we were with is this Polish professor. He came through and he just tears started coming down. Yeah. Uh, he said, I don't deserve to be here. Um, so it was just this, we were all feeling it in different ways, but it, it, I was certain that we were somewhere truly unique and 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 
it was going to open this, this, yeah. it was going to open something. I just didn't know what. <laughs> yeah, but that is exactly the experience there, that you do not use your prefrontal cortex to kind of mm. know what it's all about, but it is so profound and it shifts something almost on a DNA level from one moment to next and uh, to, to the next. And I imagined it a little bit like Stargate. Do you remember that film, Stargate? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you go through this false feeling and all of a sudden you are, I don't know, hopefully in Nirvana. But yeah. I, I think these kind of this kind of profound experiences, especially after such a valley of suffering, right? Mm, yeah, and then yeah. you have this change. And I'm sure that we all have experienced just changing places and places have different energies, full stop. I mean, when I'm in Zurich, where I'm based, and uh, is, is one, one feeling I have or one energy level I have. And when I go to Luzern, for example, which is the Vierwaldstätter See, is very, very different. And I feel actually much better over there <laughs> just between you and I. <laughs> <laughs> whoever is watching. But I can also tell the difference of energy levels, what the surrounding is, of course, not on a level of Stargate. But I think what is interesting here is to see that difference between how you can be really, really low and then all of a sudden arriving at something that has this magic, this energy, it recharges you 10 times over. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, and again, it just goes to show, I mean, going back to that conversation about nature, how we are so connected to it, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. based on place, mindset, connection, I, you know, it, it affects us and we affect it. And um, and so I think that's something to keep in mind uh, as we open up this conversation. Yeah, no, no, but you know, I'm asking myself, is it hmm. that people that are apt to it, open to it, to this kind of you know, happening that they will actually experience it. And mm -hmm. somebody else that just really is enclosed in their, you know, rationality, I want to do the process, blah, 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 would actually not feel anything? Or do you think even, you know, these gates would have unlocked this type of person? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it affects everyone differently. And even, as I said, with the five of us, you know, it affected all of us in our own unique way. I think we're just kind of, um, you know, it speaks to the heart, but we're all, we've all layered upon ourselves based on our experiences and what we're going through at particular times. Um, we have these layers, right? And it's almost like, um, I don't know, radio frequencies or something. Like there's maybe one core radio frequency, but then there's all these other frequencies that have been layered onto it. So maybe it's the more we can tune into that sort of that core one, um, the more we can open up you know, the core of who we are and connect with that. Uh, it'll always be there, but it just depends on how many layers we've kind of, we've got to work through, I suppose, to no, get down absolutely. there. No, absolutely. And peel, peel the onions, as to say. Mm. And of course, being a different place from your everyday life, from your everyday reality, may open you up a lot faster as well. And what mm. I thought was really interesting, that all of the group had the same sort of feeling. It was really like a, a you know, like you have in a group meditation, all of a sudden there's like a, um, a resonance around everybody that is gathered mm. there and you start experiencing this, this, this huge, huge amount of, of emotions. And they are very shared emotions. So nobody would go like, oh, hey, I'm not feeling anything. And that was <laughs> right, <what> yeah. trying. <laughs> you know? yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. It was just so overwhelming that you couldn't help but, but hide yeah. what you were feeling. Yeah, no. But the reason why I make such a point of all of this um, before we're getting to uh, the, the village of Nar is simply because to show that mm. A, how deep something like climbing mountain can really be, become. Mm -hmm. and also how it can shift the mindset and the openness to whatever happens in that environment. Because now we are going into 
the story of karma. Mm. And uh, tell us about once you went into that village of Nar, how you came about karma and what karma is, because there is more than one meaning to that word in your book. And that wraps up the first part of my conversation with Michael Schauch about a story of karma. And if you do like our conversations here on Mentory TV, join us, subscribe for free, hit the bell button, and you will always get a notification when we are about to release a new video. Plus as well, thank you already for potentially liking and sharing and leaving a comment below. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.